right, so good to see all of you. Dylan, welcome as our ministry intern. And Dylan even gave a little bow at the end. That was cool. And um, I saw that. I was watching from back here. Um, we're excited. And uh, we're uh, just grateful to have everyone here join us on our monthly uh, family service for all of our youth. We are ex even doubly happy to have you here. Those of you who can't be with us in, in person but online, we are grateful that you are here. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to a blessed day today of worship and fellowship uh, with lunch afterwards. So please um, stick around for that. Um, today we look at the story where someone is forgotten. And I don't know if you've ever felt like you were forgotten by someone. You know, in eighth grade, I had moved down to Southern California uh, from Northern California and met a friend in uh, junior high. Uh, his name was Kevin Goodhart, and as his name said, he was a really good guy, very friendly guy, and it's really hard in uh, eighth grade, rather, to have someone that's kind and approachable. Everyone's a little awkward in eighth grade, at least it was back then, and he had invited me to his church, and they had an overnight youth lock-in thing, and so they invited me over, and so I ended up going to his church, and that night, I, I went to a church. I didn't know anyone. Um, and then they said, all right, guys, it's game night, and um, we're going to play a game, and the youth pastor was leading us in some game. It was a church, I still remember, it was a church out in Long Beach, and it was a big church. The sanctuary was maybe even bigger than this room. At least it felt like it in eighth grade. And they said, the first game we're going to play is hide-and-go-seek, and whoever um, does not get found or is found the latest We'll get a prize. And he says, all right, you're going to have a minute. I'm going to look. We're going to go look for you guys. So go hide. And it was a the whole church building was emptied out. I mean, it was just for us. We were the only ones there at night. It was dark. And I ran into the sanctuary. And it was huge. And it had old-fashioned pews, as uh, a lot of churches do. And I ran to the front. And I remember hiding under the front pew. I even officiated a wedding there not that long uh, a little while back, and I remember seeing that pew. That's where I was. Anyway, so I was hiding there, and I thought it was a good spot because it was dark and a little bit spooky in there, and no, none other kids went in there. And maybe it was their own thing where they hid just in the fellowship hall, and maybe I didn't know as a newcomer. So I went into the sanctuary, and I was hiding. And I was so excited because I could hear footsteps and giggles and people calling out, and no one is finding me, and I'm determined to win this prize. As you probably can guess from the title of my message, where this story is going to end up, five minutes turns into 10, 10 turns into 30, 30 turns into what seemed like a lifetime, about an hour, and it's just silent. And in the distance, I could hear laughter and stuff going on. I said, boy, I'm winning this. I am the winner. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go see what's going on. I said, I think I won. And I go back, and they're already on the, like their fifth game. They're just like, okay, and they're just playing. And I went in feeling like a winner. I sit down, I said, oh my gosh, I'm such a loser, right? They didn't know I was hiding. They forgot. And I said, oh, Kevin Goodhart, where was your good heart, man? What, what? You didn't look for me, man. I went back. and, uh, But I think about that. We experience being forgotten, um, whether we're in junior high or we, our parents have a junior high, we experience this often. Um, psychologists, sociologists talk and point frequently to studies about even the effect of social media, how it makes us always feel like we're maybe missing out. We were not invited to this gathering. We were not invited to this birthday thing. How come they're doing this? 
I put up a story. All these people looked at it. How come they don't even put a heart? Dang it. Right? Why would they look at it and not do something? And we experience this feeling of being forgotten often. And this is what Joseph's going through. And in today's text that we read, and in a bigger chunk of chapter 40, we're going to look at the story. He is forgotten. He is forsaken. He is in the dungeon. He is in the pit. He is in prison. And it is in prison that he is completely forgotten. He is left there. And yet, it is at that place that God has not forgotten him. And maybe for us today, we could remember that truth as well. Maybe we feel like we're in this prison or a dungeon or in the pit. And it is at that place we have to remind ourselves today that God has not forgotten you. He remembers you. And so we're going to look at the story, then we'll look at a little bit about what God and how he remembers us. Right? We'll take a look at that. Just in our passage today in verse 14, uh, we see this phrase, verse 14. So what happens is, um, he is in the prison. Two of the king's servants are imprisoned. The cupbearer and the baker. You see, that's an odd bunch. But they were very important. They almost served like the secret service for the president. The cupbearer was the one literally next to him. And anything before the king would eat or drink, he would eat it first. He was the one that was offering himself so that if it was poison or something to attack or against the king, he would take it first. And so he's there to protect the king. He's the final line of defense. The baker, as you would imagine, is the first line of defense. He's the one that was cooking, and he would make sure that the meal was correct and it was safe to eat. And we can just kind of guess that something went bad at a banquet or a meal, and he sends him to prison. And the cupbearer and... The baker go to Joseph, and they talk about their dreams, and Joseph says, oh, I know these dreams. And he interprets a dream for the chief cupbearer, and it was good news. He was going to go and be uh, reinstated to his position, and once he gets to his position, uh, he was going to gain the favor of the king again. So it was great news, and he asks him this, verse 14. I want everyone to look at verse 14. Only remember me when it is well with you. He only has one request. Only remember me when it is well with you. You can imagine the scene. The cupbearer is saying, you're saying, I'm going to go back. I'm going to have my position back. And he's saying, yeah. And you could tell that maybe they're hugging and crying. Oh, thank you, Joseph. Man, you know, I, I owe you so much. What can I do for you? Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh to get me out of this house. Can you imagine that you are in prison and you're just saying, just this one favor. This is my, maybe my one ticket out. Maybe God is going to use this to get me out of here. I am in a place I'm not supposed to be. Maybe he could now call me up. Tell him that I'm innocent. And then we read verse 23 together. It says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. It's almost like a double negative if you read that, right? He did not remember. But uh, as Moses writes this, he wants us to get the idea that it wasn't just that he, he was distracted, that he slipped and forgot. He for, literally forgot about him. He forgot him, period. He was out of his mind. And there he is, forgotten, not remembered. And it is at this point that we see, obviously, God was with him. Let's look at this story together, just a little 
uh, highlights here. Uh, verse 1, sometime after this, the cupbearer, the king of Egypt, and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt, right? And so in verse 4, rather, we can go down. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. So we see that theme again. Joseph is watching over them. He is entrusted with these guys. He is taking care of them. He might have been given even some keys and some responsibilities. He's taking care of these prisoners. So he now shows favor to them. And this has been going on since Potiphar's house, since his initial uh, imprisonment, and now he is entrusted. Verse 8 says, and they said to him, we have had dreams, um, and there is no one to interpret them. Maybe this dream was so vivid, it was so strong, it felt like it was a, a direct message. And many uh, say it was through dreams that God spoke to certain people in the Old Testament. And Joseph said to them, verse um, 8, uh, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. And he attributes this ability to God. And he says, tell it to me. Joseph was filled with dreams. He understood dreams that God had given him some kind of wisdom. And then so the chief cupbearer, verse 9, told him his dreams to Joseph and said to him, in my dreams there was a vine before me. And on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, the, its blossom shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed it there. Well, what does this mean? Right? And Joseph, in verse 12, tells him, in three days, the branches mean in three days, you're going to have your position back, and you will be pouring wine back into the king's cup. And this is great news. The baker, the chief baker, hears this, and he's had dreams. And so you could tell he's probably pretty excited. He runs to Joseph, I had a dream too. Can you interpret this for me? And his dream goes this way in verse 16. I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for the Pharaoh. And the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. Verse 18, Joseph answered, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. So far, so good. Three days. What's going to happen? In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. And all of this comes true. So you could kind of guess, maybe, that he was poisoned. He didn't know who to blame, and they find out the truth that maybe it was the chief baker, and he ends up receiving the punishment that was due to him. And so this happens, but yet he is forgotten and not remembered. Uh, the Bible is filled with stories of God remembering his people. This is a covenant language. Though they feel forsaken, though they have abandoned God, he remembers them. That phrase, God remembers, is, occurs 73 times in the Bible. God remembers. Genesis 8.1, God remembered Noah, Genesis 19.29, God remembered Abraham, Genesis 30.22, God remembered Rachel. And in Luke 1.54.55, in Mary's song, the Magnificat, in remembrance of his mercy, she says. So he remembered. And I want to share with you how he remembers this morning. There's three ways he remembers, three things he remembers. Number one is he remembers your tears. 
you would imagine Joseph was filled with many tears. Being imprisoned is hard enough, being separated from his family, being hated by his brothers, left to die. All of that is difficult, being away from home. And on top of that, he is now left behind from these two. He is looking for any way out. He is filled with tears, and yet God remembers. I don't know what tears you have shed, but God counts your tears, the Bible says. Psalm 56, 8. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? He's kept count. What are the disappointments that have brought you tears? What are the heartaches that have led you to cry? He counts them. Tear bottles were, in biblical times, archaeologists have found some of them like this. And these bottles literally were used to bottle up tears. And so what it was was when someone of significance, the king or the pharaoh or someone like this would perish, the mourners would gather, the public would gather, and they would collect their tears, fill it up maybe with ointment or oil, and they would now bury it with them. And so in these tombs of so-called significant people were now many of these vials filled with oils and perfumes and tears even. And so this is something that's common. And so when the psalmist mentions this, people understand. But what it says here is important. He says in verse 8 again in Psalm 56, put my tears in your bottle. It's his bottle. What he's saying is you are significant. Because the poor back in the days, they did not find these with the poor. It was only with the rich and the important people of their day. And so when God says, I have a bottle, I am filling with your tears, I have it. He's saying, you now are the important one. Your tears matter. I love the promise, and it culminates in uh, Revelation 21. For he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the future promise. Every tear. Not certain ones, but every tear. God will wipe it all away. Tears of isolation, of loneliness, tears of disappointment, tears of being betrayed, of being forgotten, whatever the tears are, tears of getting in trouble for something you didn't do or something you did by sheer stupidity and you're in trouble and you say, wow, what am I going to do? And your tears are flowing. It says there will be no more. But until it is no more, God keeps account of them. And I'm sure all of us have sat in somewhere and been in the pits at one time or another and have shed tears that no one knows about. Maybe you're a grown-up and you didn't want to share that burden with other people. Or maybe you were afraid that people would not understand. Or maybe you tried to share and no one cared and listened and you felt forgotten and that only makes it worse and the tears are flowing. And yet God captures every single one of the tears every time that you were hurt, sad, disappointed, lonely, and he captures it, puts it in the bottle. He says every single one of those matter to him. He remembers our tears. And one day he will wipe them away, every single one of them. I look forward to that day. Right? I mean, even it doesn't say, it says every time, right? I have allergies, right? I pull my nose all the time. My eyes are running. Thank you, Lord, right? <laughs> you just see my Sunday routine. Like I, because my wife's like, 
you need to stop blowing your nose up there. I said, take it up with God, not with me. Um, and she's like, do something. I take spray, blow out. I try. But one day, all right, she'll be happy. Finally, you're going to have to blow your nose up there. All right, so uh, God remembers all of our tears. Secondly, how does he remember us? God remembers all of your good deeds, all of the love you've shown to others. Hebrews 6.10 says this, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. God is not unjust. You ever felt injustice by loving someone, giving a gift to someone, and having it attributed to someone else? Or them never saying thank you. You sent something over. Did they receive it? I don't know. A wedding gift, and you haven't received anything back. No acknowledgement. Uh, whatever good things that you have done. And there are so many of you over the last year, the last years of our church, when I think back on how our church got started, it was built on the good deeds of everyone. Someone cared, someone sacrificed, someone gave, someone opened their home, someone gave hugs and welcomed people. Someone went up there when they were maybe not even certain and led the songs, led the message. Someone gathered people, gathered the youth, gathered the college, gathered the young. Someone did it. And it was acts of good and love. And I am sure along the way, there have been many times when no one noticed. You say, man, that's just not fair. There might be times I might have thanked someone else for something someone else did. You say, oh, man, pastor didn't see what I did. But it says God is not unjust. As to overlook your work, the love that you have shown. He is not unjust. He doesn't overlook it. He doesn't dismiss it. He remembers all of your good deeds. He remembers the love you have shown to someone. I was sharing with our teacher service earlier, and I was giving this illustration of how true it is. Right? I said, those of you who are coming to do first steps, right, it's, they're going to probably change a diaper. Some of them probably have a bad gag reflex. It's probably very difficult to change another, even a cute baby, but another person's diaper. And I said, that mom might not even know that you changed the diaper. Um, that baby might look at you and not even come to you the next week, right? But you do it anyways. Because God is watching you as you are going through this. It is, right, this passage we know from Jesus, Matthew 6, 3 and 4. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So then... Your, so that your giving may be in secret, that your father sees in secret, will reward you. One of the things that I get so, one of the perks of being a pastor, uh, there are many perks of being a pastor, there are some hardships or whatever, but uh, many more blessings. And one of the many perks is, man, people are generous towards pastors. And so I get meals and I get, you know, ball game tickets and things and people all always trying to give pastors things and over my adult life as a pastor or a youth pastor I, I've received countless meals at restaurants where I would be eating and someone I ran into a church person or this or that they see me and they oh the meals paid for well that person 
that you used to know at the old, old church, you know, their you know, parents are there and they paid for your meal. And it's always a, wow, thank you, God. I'm like, wow, I should have ordered the extra large, you know, like, oh, man. You know, why did I do that? Right? Why did I share, honey? You know, we should have just. Um, I have a friend, I had an acquaintance back in the day who was a pastor and he would wear his clergy collar. You've seen that. Oftentimes it's um, the collar is, they call it a Roman collar or clergy collar. It's those, uh, a lot of times it's associated with uh, Roman Catholic priests. But the, the Protestant pastors wear that too. And it's a public symbol of who they are, letting the public know I am a pastor, I'm here to be here for you, etc. And he would wear that and he would tell me that he wore it because before he became a, a Christian, he used to be a gang member. And he says, this reminds me of my new identity because my old self comes out once in a while when I, I act this way or a certain way. And he says he has to wear it daily. And then he said, confessed to me also, and also he goes, when I wear this, Steve, I get beatings all the time. <laughs> He's like, a lot of times why the, the, the guilty Catholics, they just buy me stuff. And people I don't know in the restaurants are buying me meals all the time. So I contemplated, should I get one? But it would be for the wrong reason. And if I wore that for that, God might use it to choke me. But really, whatever you do in secret, and there are many times, and you know the situations, where you have outgiven that person 10 to 1. You have just given into, you have given love into that person, haven't received much. You have hosted and shown hospitality and haven't received much. You have taken care of others. You have welcomed new friends and they've said goodbye to you without even saying goodbye. And it is in those moments we pause and think, no one sees what I'm doing. No one saw this. What an ungrateful job that I have. But yet it is God who remembers. And let me encourage you. Be filled with good deeds. Demonstrate love to others. And even if they don't pay you back, it's okay. God doesn't forget. He remembers. And we take that to heart. And the third way God remembers us is he remembers all of our lives, your whole life. God is so awesome that the psalmist puts it this way, Psalm 139.6. He's looking into the future. And the psalmist is saying, he already knows what your whole life looks like. And he says this, verse 16, your eyes, speaking to God, saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed by me, when as yet there was none of them. Before being born, every one of them, he says, were written in your book. It's a picture of God keeping a record. And sometimes we might look at this and feel a little bit of guilt. Oh, man, God keeps a record of my wrong. No, the idea is he adores, he loves, he cherishes, and he writes it down. And the only human illustration I could think of is... Uh, when my kids were born, when Carissa was born and Sharon was got, back in the day, lack of technology, right? No iPhones, no Instagram, nothing. Scrapbooks, right? Our dining table when she was born was all scrapbook stuff. And literally, I used to joke with Sharon. I said, oh my gosh, 
oh, you should make this a job, ha, 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 you know, like little subtle jokes that we as husbands make, oh, gosh, you're, you're recording her whole life, literally, and it was like, well, we went here, we met them, we went to the zoo, saw a giraffe, and, uh, and it would be volumes and volumes and volumes, and then the second one, Ashley was born, right, and at this point, I'm like, uh-oh, and I said, hey, you know, whatever you do for the first, you got to do for the second, and she grows up, and get a feeling hurt, right? I've heard stories of second kids counting pictures of themselves versus their older siblings and stuff like that. So she now is doubled up. And after a while, I said, okay, I can't do this anymore, right? I got to live. But we, we, at our house, we have volumes and volumes of these scrapbooks. And I see many of you who have little ones today, you're, you're putting up stories and stories and posts and posts of your children. And I love looking at those. Favorite posts are those. Because they are so important. We want to understand and be there. But who really cares about a person turning two to three to four to five in developments? Who genuinely cares other than the few, the mom and the dad? And they record all that because it is so precious. And you look at your life and you might think, am I forgotten? Am I forsaken? No, God is putting your life together in his book. He cares so much about how you grow, how you will learn, who you will love, how you will be formed in his image. He loves all these things about you. Even in the trials, how you will persevere and how character will be built. And he puts all these things down in his book. The late Charles Stanley had this quote, you always have God's undivided attention. The psalmist describes it, and oftentimes in uh, poetic language in the Psalms, there is a contrast or a comparison with something great, and our uh, lives are compared to uh, the heavenly beings. You know, look at this, uh, verse 3, when I look to your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? He says, when I look to the moon, and the stars, and you have placed them there, who am I that you are mindful of me, insignificant me? And the psalmist is making this point in his prayer. God values. God sees the significance of who you are more than the moon and the stars and the heavens. He is mindful. He cares. I want to highlight those two words, mindful. In the original language, zakar, it means to remember. That's the word that was used all throughout that I've quoted, to remember zakar. But it is not something just to bring into someone's mind. It is now to act upon that thought. You know, a, a mental remembrance is, it's like, oh yeah, it's so-and-so's birthday today. Oh well. But the car says, oh, it's so-and-so's birthday. I'm going to go and buy them a gift. I'm going to wrap it up. I know their favorite food is, you know, sushi. I'm going to take them out to a meal. And we're going to have a good time. And we're going to celebrate this person. That is a car. That is to remember. And the second word that is used, to care. Pakad, to care. The son of man, that you care for him. To care is not just a... An emotional thing. 
sometimes we think to care is like, oh, I'm just moved to emotions. No, it's so much more than that. There's so much more than cheap emotions. To care has the idea of visiting. When Genesis 21.3, the Lord visited Sarah, it says, Paka, to care. When you care, you go. You go near. You draw near. And this is the picture of the gospel and the ultimate picture of God's care for you. He sent his only son, God the Son, Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.13 that we who have been far off have been brought near to him. He cares for you, not just from heaven far away. He cares for you so much he draws near and draws you close. And now we are in his grace. And so he remembers you. And so can I ask you to remember how much he remembers you. When you are discouraged, remember that he is there. When you are crying, remember he catches your tears and knows why and cares why. When you are doing something good and no one notices, remember that God sees and keeps a record. He is not unjust. He knows your motives and why you do these things. When you pause and look at the stars and the moon and all of these things that God has created, he looks at you and says, you matter that much. And so in just a little bit, um, Pastor Jen's going to come up and lead us in communion. We do it in remembrance of him. And as you think about him, can you think about the one who cares and remembers you, who visits you this way? Let's pray. So, Lord, we remember you. Remember that you are God who remembers us. We forget so easily. We often look around us and we base it on how we feel, what we see, what we have. But, Lord, you are there. So, Lord, would you remind us of that truth again? Lord, when it seems like we are alone, you are with us. So we trust in you. In Jesus' name.